strawberries have seeds. If I plant the strawberry, I have a strawberry plant. And then I was like, I use the strawberry to make the strawberry. And again, putting it in the soil. And I look up and that same person is staring back at me. So now I'm avoiding that whole half of the thing because it's just a bit too awkward right now. You've got issues, mate. Yeah, come on. I mean, everyone does it. it was Ikea pencils. Come on. You're no. telling me you don't look at an Ikea pencil and go, wow, I'm a giant. That's a normal size pencil. Ali, you've seen me, right? That's the first thing. I'm not a giant <laughs> or anything. Secondly, nobody, nobody talks to strawberries. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, no, maybe, I'm, maybe. I'm, I'm with Zucky on this one. Yeah, but you've heckled me enough, so can I, can I, can I start the episode, please? Fine. Have you got any more horrible tree jokes? Can I, can I have this one? No, no, no. Don't, 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 don't open the floor up to Zane for jokes, please. Okay. Good point. Good point. Let's start with the thing then. Let's start with the episode. Okay. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Traveller with me, Ali, Zaki, and Zane. This show is all about tumultuous trekking through terrains whilst tucking into a Terry's Orange at home. Each episode, one of us picks a destination and we discuss places, attractions, and of course, the local restaurants. So, how are you both? Yeah, man, not bad. Good week? Been pretty busy. What about you? Yeah, it, it's, yeah it's, it's, been, it's been a good week. I'm just kind of like avoiding half of my flat right now, if I'm honest. Zaki, um, good week for you? All good? Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good, pretty quiet. Um, playing a lot of Horizon. Good, good. As you guys have heard already. But yeah, it's been good. It's been good. I've been delving into this episode. Perfect. Which Perfect. Will be well, no. Interesting. Yeah, no, I know. I'm quite excited that since this is my week, uh, to pick, uh, the episode uh, and the destination. So, I mean, as you know, uh, for all our listeners as well, this episode is all about Namibia, which is something which I wanted to go and see, and uh, yeah, it should be should be quite good as well. Yeah. Why, why did you pick Namibia? Just out of curiosity. Uh, do you want the official answer or the honest answer? I think you should give us both for yeah, the listeners to be able good. to appreciate what uh, we have to deal with. So the official one is that Namibia is a very diverse place. Um, it's got a lot of different attractions. It's something which I'm quite excited because it's got elements like conservation, environmental stuff in its constitution. Uh, it's got, um, quite, it's quite a peaceful place, etc., etc. The honest answer is I woke up and it was really cold and my feet were cold and I wanted to go somewhere hot and compare the market, Meerkat advert was on and I wanted Meerkats, so I picked Namibia. But, but it's going to be good regardless, regardless of the reasons, you know? It's going to be yes. good. It's gonna be good. Yes, despite all of the insanity of Ali. Yeah, okay, maybe, maybe lockdown is affecting me. Maybe I, I have to discuss these things. I don't, and, and we all know it's not <laughs> lockdown. Don't use I that know, right? this, It's this, not, this it's not lockdown. Yeah, I th- yeah, Namibia's, th- this is one of those places where I didn't know anything about, to be honest. And you read just the top of, it's like something. You're like, okay, yeah. well, that looks interesting. Yeah. And you end up spending just hours reading about this thing because it's just fascinating, the history of it. And some of the stories and the folklore is just, is it, you get sucked mm-hmm. into it so easily. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, for me, even the name Namibia, you know, it's brilliant because it's like one of the oldest deserts and it's named after Namib, which, is it Namib, Namib? What did you call it, Zane? I think it was Namib, but I have no idea. Yeah, yeah, but yeah it's, it, it's got quite a lot of interesting things. I'm going to throw just a couple of facts to get us into the mood. Let's do it, let's yeah, do it. Let's do it. So, we've got three facts that I want to say. Number one, it was the first African country to have a female prime minister. Kudos, very I nice. Think was, I think it was 2015, and then she got the next guy came in 2018. But yeah, she was the first one in Africa. Okay. Number two, 
Libya has the highest population of cheetahs. Nice. As in cheetahs in the animal, not the yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Zane was gonna make that joke. I know. Yeah. I know. I know. Yeah. Okay. I guess fine. You were fine. too quick for me, huh? Zaki, we're gonna we're gonna have to talk about this. I think it's it's getting it's it's turning into a bit of a chronic problem actually. You've had twenty years of this. Nothing. Mate, you talk to strawberries. Yeah, it's I talk to strawberry plants. <laughs> there's a point. difference. No, no, there's not. No. no. Okay, uh, so okay, so cheetahs is what cheetah capital then? Effectively, yeah, it's got the highest number of natural, like not in a conservation thing. There, there's a highest population there out of general countries, which is pretty cool. That's pretty cool and indeed. The third one is, I but I, I think I'm not sure how exactly to say this, but I think it's illegal to drink and walk, or Are we, what does or, that mean? As in, like, getting drunk and walking. So I think you can, pedestrians can get breathalyzed, is, yeah. is the act <laughs> So, for example, if you, if, if a car, if there was an accident and it involved yeah. a pedestrian, the pedestrian would have to get breathalyzed. I mean, I'm so, laughing, but I think that would be really useful in London as well, if I'm honest. I mean, the amount of people I've seen who are just walking really slowly or really randomly, it would, it would help, I would say. Yeah, I just, I love the image of them trying to, how, how do you even approach that conversation? Sorry, sir. You're looking a bit plastered. <laughs> you're walking a bit weird. So that was my that was my kind of fact to get us into the mood. So interesting country. It is. I mean, if if they're the capital, uh, cheetah capital of the world, what? I mean, obviously Canada's probably maple capital, but what would UK be? Pigeons. I guess so. I mean, you guys have a lot of squirrels. That's really depressing. Yeah, that is that is true. Yeah, squirrels are quite quite common. Maybe, yeah. I don't want. To, I don't want to be a squirrel capsule. That's what would you want to be? Well, according to you guys, dragons and unicorns are real, so one of those might be quite nice. Dragon, to be honest, dragon capital is pretty cool. Dragon capital. Yeah, how would that cool. not be fun? Yeah. I don't know what you have against imaginary animals. I just don't think they deserve our praise. Let's not. Let's not. No, go on. Let's not. Let's not. <laughs> this, this conversation will never end. So go on, Ali, kick us off. Yeah, so do you know how old the, the Namib des- desert is, or the Namibian desert is? Ten no years. 55, if I've got this right, 55 million years old. Wow. It is the oldest desert in the world. And to put it in perspective, Sahara is just seven million years old. Really? Uh, yeah. I mean, again, I don't know who actually goes, hmm, let me, uh, let me calculate your age. How do I mean, you calculate probably... the age of a desert? I don't know. I have no idea. I, I tried to research that. I tried to find out how you do it. I mean, do you look at a piece of, like, a grain of sand and start evaluating it that way? Do you cut it in half and count the circles in? I, I have no idea. But we just have to believe that it is the oldest. Okay. Yeah. And, I mean, uh, starting off with the desert, just a few more facts as well then. So it is called the Namib Desert because in Nama language, it means barren or nothing there, which is very apt. I mean, for somebody like Zane, I, before you mentioned Arthur's seat, I think you'd appreciate the <laughs> yeah, fact no, that... No, I'm, I'm happy with that. You're happy with this? Sense. It, it has, has the same tick? It does, yep. it does. Um, and what I like about it as well is that it's got a very specific orange hue, which is due to the iron oxidiz- oxidization or, or the rust, which, which causes that lovely orangey texture, which I don't think I've seen anywhere else in the world. It's got two millimeters of rain. Two millimeters a year. And I was expecting this place to be completely empty. I thought there'd be nothing there. But uh, no, there's a fair few things in the animal uh, world and in the plant world which are running around in the desert. So that's something which we should look at. I mean, who wants to talk about dick dicks? Uh, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, what? 
There's, there's an animal. Before, get your mind out of the sewer. There's an animal. The milk tunnel, I think you mean. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. Get your mind out of the milk tunnel. <laughs> yeah, there's uh, a little ox lynx thing, which is called a dick dick. Or dick dick. I think it's one word, actually, rather than. Yeah. Um, but they've got ostriches and they've got um, flamingos and stuff like that as well. Um, yeah, they have the, I think, 90% of all flamingos in South Africa or something. They spend the winter in Namibia's Walvis Bay Lagoon. Wow. Is, yeah, 90%? 90%. So apparently, like, that's, I want to say, over 50,000 flamingos mm. over the year. Mm. And that includes, like, greater flamingos and lesser flamingos, which apparently are two different types of flamingos. See, same. This mm. is what we need. We need more facts, not stupid jokes or impressions or whatever. I find that a bit discriminatory. Yeah, but I, I at mean, least he's not doing facts and impressions. I mean, if you insist I don't do flamingo impressions, then I'm going to have to put my foot down. Can we actually put edit in like a... I can't. No. No. Because this man is just some next level. I mean, I'm kind of proud of that one. As you... Okay. So, here's what we should... Yeah, flamingos. 90%. That that must be a heck of a trek from other places, though, right? Because I'm pretty sure flamingos are scattered in a lot of places across Africa, so it's got to be a, a a real trek to get there. Yeah. yeah, but apparently they find it really, really nice, and they don't like compete for food or anything. They just chill and drink water and eat whatever they eat. Hmm. So it's very okay. peaceful. You got David Attenborough on one side, and then you got the same. The birds, yeah, they chill, <laughs> they eat, they drink. What more do they want? I mean, yeah. I'm imagining like. Uh, the Lion King sequence where they're all around the watering hole and just chilling, you know. How was your week? Oh, it wasn't, wasn't bad, you know. How was yours? Yeah, just jamming along to the, the Lion King theme song. Yeah. Although, yeah. you know, you mentioned how Namibia is famous for its, like, orange haziness, right, in the weather. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because of mm-hmm. that, a lot of films have been um, shot there. And the most famous, I think, is Mad Max Fury Road. So I'm guessing neither of you have seen that one then. I've, I've seen, seen bits of of it, old... but I, I know of it, yeah. Yeah, the new one, um, twenty fifteen with Tom Hardy and Charlize Theron. Yes, okay. yeah, yeah. So originally it was supposed to be filmed in Australia, but the place where they film, um, because of rainfall, it's apparently too green, and so they had to move to Namibia so they could film in the I think Dorob National Park. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's also where they shot the intro sequence for two thousand one, A Space Odyssey. Okay, I, don't I did not know that. That's pretty cool. I can actually yes. not. Now that you mentioned Mad Max, actually a lot of the scenes that I can see, yeah, it's, it's a very, like, a, almost a trademark orange yeah, kind of hue that that that's, does. That's pretty cool. I mean, you instantly recognize it. Mm. Yeah, for sure. And I was, I was going to ask Zucky, because the Mad Max and the whole milk concept, I, that's not why you watched it, right? <laughs> What's Mad Max? What? what? Okay, uh, I think thinks just... uh, Mad Max is just a movie about one man trying to deliver some milk before they invented tunnels. I mean, maybe. You've got to get across the desert somehow. Seems sensible. Yeah. There's one thing which I came across, which I think both of you will love to bits. So if you indulge me on um, coming up with a bit... I mean, I know we're supposed to talk about attractions and stuff, but if I go into a bit more detail about the itineraries, mm-hmm. there's there's a uh, desert lodge called the Homestead Desert Lodge, um, which is in the Namibian desert next to some of the tallest uh, sand dunes in the world. Uh, some of them being 400 meters high. Yeah, and this I think lodge, that, that one's called. Th- th- I was just reading about this the other day. That one's called Dune Seven. 
That's the one. Was. That's the one. Yeah, that's yeah. the one, right? Yeah. And two hundred. What was it? Four hundred meters, just under, right? I mean, so they exactly. had six other dunes before this. Yeah, they did. Yeah. Uh, some, did. Yeah. I was a bit right. disappointed at that because Dune Seven just sounds cool. That sounds like Area Fifty One or like you know Project Fifty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dune Seven sounds cool. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, the fact that we've got the Dune Seven vibe, you're going we're Dune buddies. Um, and sorry, so you not... ruined it. You what? Just ruined. You just. Ruined. I'm. I'm just happy that we've got the same Dune fact. Uh, no, but yeah, absolutely right. Dune Seven. So this lodge is right next to that. And imagine this, okay? So you go to this lodge, and it's got mosquito nets, and it's got um, a really nice little spa type thing. So it's very high end, I would say. Uh, and then what you do is that you wake up at dawn, you get onto a horse, you ride your horses and explore the desert that way, and then you get into the saddle, you ride through the dunes and the trails, and then you stop at random makeshift campsites, and then you go to one of their more established campsites, sit around the fire have your, I don't know what you eat, some sort of steak, some sort of meat, some sort of lizard, and then you sleep under the stars, and you just relax. I mean, that, that and like the stars, uh, same, didn't you say you had something around stars or meteorites or something, but imagine just sitting and watching that and then taking the horse back. It just sounds awesome. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. How long is the, how long is the track, like just a day's ride? They say, so the, what the website which I went on, which, um, I've, I've posted in the description as well, it's on daily.com and uh, the horse trails are anything from two days to four days, depending on your experience levels. Um, and it just, it just feels like Indiana Jones almost. Uh, it's some, something which definitely we should do at some point. That sounds fantastic. I guess yeah. with the deserts, the stargazing is quite synonymous, isn't it? Because of the lack of light pollution and just having the clearness of the sky. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I mean, what is the difference? And I know this is kind of kind of straying off now, but what what is the difference between a meteorite and an asteroid? Because genuinely, no idea. Uh, I think asteroids are a lot bigger than meteorites. I thought yeah, that's that's around. about as much as I got. I... So, is there are there like meteor showers and stuff that you can see there, or? Okay. You're gonna like this one. You're gonna like. Well, I'm gonna like this because I, I can touch um, it and actually get involved into the. You can touch it, not crevices. You can get involved into the what? What were you going to say? <laughs> what were you going to say? I was, I was assuming a meteorite had crevices, so I was going to you know get right, right into the crevices. I'm sorry for asking. I'm sorry for yeah. asking. But anyway, there's a, there's a meteorite called the Hoba meteorite, and you can touch it to your heart's content. Uh, so this meteorite landed in a farm near Grootfontaine about 80,000 years ago, and since it weighs as much as a U.S. Army tank, so about 60 tons to everyone else who's not American, it hasn't been moved to a museum. So it's just sitting there, and you can go up to it, and you can touch it and feel it and actually feel history, which is something which Namibia has already catered to my needs, so I'm, I'm a happy guy. Uh, is it is it an easy place to trek to? Is it like a trek through the desert, or is it a... It is about four-ish hours, I think, from from uh, Windhoek. So oh, okay. Yep. So yeah, it's it's yeah you've got to be pretty dedicated to go there, but um, it, it, I mean it, it's a meteorite from space, so. And apparently, right, it fell eighty thousand years ago. So like the name Hoba um, means gift. Ah. So it's kind of like a religious, well not religious, but like a folklore like, kind of. Yeah. Yeah, like a history. That's pretty cool. Yeah, nice. I like that aspect of Namibia, where a lot of the history is around kind of a. The legends and the folklores and stuff is pretty cool. All yeah. of that in Namibia. Every time you read something, it feels like a part of a video game or something. It's fantastic. Okay, which video game are you thinking? I guess 
it's kind of like God of War mixed with Far Cry mixed with Skyrim. There's just so much stuff to do that it's just interesting. So the one, this one I was reading was about the these kind of fairy circle things that are in the desert. Okay. There are patches of land that are just barren plants, and they're between 2 and 15 meters, or 7 and 49 foot. And before right. it only ever occurred in the Nana Desert, in the western parts of Africa. And so, they're uh, known... Sorry, wait, why is it called fairy... Like, what did you call it, sorry? Fairy circles. Fairy circles, okay. So they're not really sure how they form. They don't really understand. They think it's some kind of bacteria or something that forms in the circle, but they're not sure what the bacteria feeds off of. Or what hmm. the what the um what the sustenance is. So the Himba people they think those barren patches are said to have been caused by the gods or spirits or animals or natural divinities as they call them. Then they believe that they were produced by ancients that had magical and spiritual powers from an ancestor who was called Mukuru. Okay. Who was responsible for the creation of these circles that they're known as fairy circles or that they were footprints. It's um, sort of be a bit of a slow day at the office, though, right? If you're if you're a Makuru and you're going, hmm, I'm going to walk in the circles. Yeah, the other the other theory is they or the other myth is that some people believe that the circles are formed by an ancient, evil, old dragon that resides in the earth, and its poisonous breath kills the vegetation underneath, and that's what causes those circles to occur. See, I, now I that go see is these. kind of interesting because I also have a dragon related. Um, story. Mm-hmm. That's her. So, going back to kind of last week's episode about dragons and underground caves and stuff, have you guys heard of Dragon's Breath Cave? No. Okay, so in the Kalahari Desert, there is a small cave that slants downwards for about 5 meters, and then there's a 50 meter sort of sheer drop at the end, and that leads you to the largest underground non-subglacial lake in the world. And this lake is so deep that divers apparently haven't even touched the floor yet. And I think the deepest they've gone down is about 130 meters. So the reason it's called Dragon's Breath Cave is because humid air from the lake uh, rises up and out of the cave's entrance, which apparently reminded explorers of like the warm breath of a dragon. That's pretty. That's pretty cool. That's super cool. Uh, related to that uh, uh, fog breath, who wants to hear about a beetle's bum water? No, uh, moving on. I, I know you do. I know you do because I want to tell you about this. Do you want? No, do you don't want to hear about bum water? Can I just Let's say go. before you start? <laughs> before you start, is this actually an attraction? It's. I, I mean, it's, if you wanted to be an attraction, I'm sure the beetle could oblige. So uh, so far, we've covered a desert. Yeah. And a lake in half an hour. Yeah. To be you honest, want to talk we need about to... beetle. It's a very special beetle, on, and I, I'm sure. All right, so oh, is yeah, it like okay, Paul McCartney or John Lennon? <laughs> you see Ellie? No. You see? Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, so I, I I first came across this beetle back back when I was watching an episode of QI, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then I came across it again when I was doing research for this episode. So we know when I was talking about the fact that there's two millimeters of rain every year in this desert, and things are actually alive and kicking in this world, uh, in that desert. There's a beetle who lives in that desert, and this thing, I mean, how does it actually survive? How does it actually quench its thirst? And this is awesome. So when uh, scientists found this lovely beetle, they found that its back was kindly, oddly shaped, and were like, is it aerodynamics? What, it, what is it supposed to be doing? And then they observed it, and what it does is that in the morning fog, as the mist and the fog rises, it kind of puts its head down on the ground, and it raises its bum into the air. 
and then it just stands there for a few hours. A bit of a weird, yeah, morning yoga, a bit of a ritual kind of thing going, you know. And it's like, okay, cool, cool, cool. And then what happens is that the fog starts to condense on its back of the of the beetle, and then the the condensation slowly turns into drops, which turns into Hmm. trickles, which slowly start trickling from its bum all the way to its mouth, which just laps up. That's sorry, it just laps it up. Yeah, I mean, well, is that, is I mean, that okay, what the article yeah. said? Was it? Is that what David Attenborough said? It laps it up. <laughs> it no, laps it up. Like it's laps nothing, it man. <laughs> okay. And it does this every single day. Uh, yeah, yeah, I would imagine that, so. I haven't actually asked it, but I mean, yeah. that's got to be a pretty. That's got to be a pretty boring life. I know. Just open up a bottle of Evian or something, you know? Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, mate, I'm gonna have some of that bomb water. Okay. Have you actually got? Has anybody got actual attraction? <laughs> Can I talk about the... Okay, fine, fine. Let's actually do some attractions because I've got so many random things about bush elephants and desert elephants. But let's let's actually get an attraction in there because we've talked a lot about the desert. So can I interest you in something called the... Is there, there's a lodge called the Dora Nawas Lodge, but it's near something called the Twifel Fontaine, which you might have come across in your research as well. Mm-hmm. So this is a an ancient rock site... Uh, with engravings in the Kunin region, so it's northwest Namibia almost, and it's got a spring in a valley which is flanked by slopes of sandstone, and it's got very little rainfall, and people have been coming for generations, tribes upon tribes, have been coming to this uh, watering hole, this spring valley, and it's got, I, I, I mean, the best way to describe it, I suppose, is that it's got carvings on the sandstone of various animals, um, various uh, humans which have slightly animal uh, appearances and stuff like that. So it's kind of uh, where people used to come and sacrifice or complete uh, shamanic uh, tributes and stuff like that. So it's just, it's a UNESCO heritage site now. And um, the, one of the ones which I've kind of drawn a picture out here, it's a lion which has <laughs> hands and toes, human hands and toes. And it's on its tail, it's got a hand as well, which I think would be incredibly useful. Yeah, if anyone a needs a hand. <laughs> if you had, had a lion and it had a hand for a tail, what would you like? That would be pretty useful, I think. Yeah, if anyone needs a hand, right? Yeah, no, we've you've had that joke, no. But I mean, <laughs> I like already, man, let it go. Would it be useful? I, I think so. Why? Like, I mean, I'm looking at the picture of the 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 sandstone thing, and it's quite a long tail with a hand on it. So you could slap people. You could. Use it to peel banana. I don't know. Okay, but okay, it looks no, good. you can't peel bananas one-handed. No, you can't. Can you not? No. Also, it's uh, a lion. What's it doing with bananas? That's true. Know. But speaking of slapping people, I like this one. This is this is a nice this intro. Is, this is a fantastic segue. How are so, you going to connect this? Go. So, I think we'll go back onto all of the the ghost and the creepy kind of aspects of Namibia. Which is which is part of what makes it so fascinating. But speaking of slapping people, there's a whole bunch of different stories and ghost stories that go around in Namibia, especially not just in the desert, but in the other places. So I'm going to read one to you in the town of Katatura in Windhoek in North, right? So this one story about the woman in white is a ghost story quite popular. This is actually off the their own news website. And there is a story that people are living in fear of a white-dressed ghost, which has attacked a number of different people who pass by the front of a particular house. Mm-hmm. And the story goes that a guy used to live in there before, and his 
wife passed away or she, she passed away in a car accident or something like that. And when the guy came back from the funeral, he started acting all proper weird and crazy. And at one point, he ran out of the house screaming things like, Take her out of this house! And things like that. Okay. Even though she'd already gone. But he's, he started losing his mind, weirdly, and people didn't understand why. Right. And people tried to go there and, and stay with him, like his family and stuff, but they just couldn't. They just couldn't stay there. And after 12 o'clock at night, all the residents in that area, they have used roads that go away from that house and around the house and nobody goes through that road in front of it and there have been incidents that people have been attacked by a female ghost in a white dress so a man who's only identified himself as ben um ben ben in namibia said yeah, in namibia yeah I don't, maybe it's short for okay Benjamin. this doesn't anyway crack that he, he, <laughs> he, um, um, yeah, he said he was walking there once at 12 o'clock and he got attacked by a woman in a white dress who he freaked out and ran away. And another story, similar, similar place, similar time. Another man said, I was walking past the house alone at midnight and it felt as if somebody was following me. But when I turned around, I saw a long white dress suspended in the air before I could comprehend what was going on. The dress started slapping me <laughs> across the face and then all over my body. I ran for my dear life. And when I narrated my ordeal to my family, none of them believed me because they thought <laughs> I was drunk. Well, I mean, that's brilliant. But can you imagine if that happened here? It's like, I'll oh, give it a rest, Harold. And start <laughs> shouting, there's yeah. somebody in the house. Yeah, yeah. And they, they say that, that he... This has happened to multiple different people. They also said there was a fire in the house that started randomly and there's no logical explanation for it. And the, um, the people tried to, they'd buy the house, they put it up for sale, somebody would buy it and then move away, give it back mm. within a month or a couple of weeks. And that is, is Benji still, still about? Like, he'd be a horrible neighbour. No, they've moved out. Oh, okay. he moved out. So the house is abandoned now, right? Or is it? The house is. It's for sale if anybody's interested in real estate in Namibia. I don't know how much it's for sale, but it's it's located in Dolem location off Iwa Schumacher Street. Nice. Okay, so we're not just a, tra- a travel podcast. We, we we care for your real assets as well. Yes, yes, we do. We provide a full service here. But Absolutely. I, that was just, yeah, one of the ghosts, the many, I'll try and limit it, <laughs> one of the many, many ghost stories that are around in Namibia, which okay, is outside. I don't, I, I've got something for you, and it's not a real ghost, but I think you'd appreciate it nonetheless. Like, I've got um, one which is about a ghost town. You, you up for a bit of that? Yes, I've read about this. I mean, I've, I've literally got a sentence, so I'm, I'm hoping you've got something a bit more. But it's uh, it's in Colmanskop, uh, and it's a ghost town, and it's absolutely abandoned, and it's filled with sand and snakes. Yes, indeed. That's what yeah. I've got. Uh, so yeah, I've read about this a lot. This is another one of those great spaces. So Coleman Stop, I think it is. Is it still in the desert? I believe in southern side of the desert. I think so. I think so. Yes. It's known as the Forbidden Zone, which again, straight out of a game, right? And the story goes that apparently in 1908, the they had railways and stuff that were working there because they were under German rule at the time, and they were they were trying to construct infrastructure and things like that. And a railway worker named Zacharias Luwala. Shoveling mm-hmm. the railroad clear of like the sand dunes and things like that. And he saw some stones shining in the light. And the employers, he called his employers over and they identified them as diamonds. And then, so this was in 1908. So f- 
1912, the whole the whole town has sprung up in this complete desert. Hordes of prospectors come along, and they started producing diamonds. And they produced in its heyday, they were producing um, a million carats a year wow. of diamond. So to put that into perspective, that's just under 12% of the entire world's diamond production. Wow. One town. Wow. So obviously, Gomestop became an absolute luxury place in the barren desert. They had everything. It was a, you know, like butchers, bakers, post office. I had an ice factory, which in a 1912 <laughs> desert is just crazy though, right? Brilliant. Yeah. Um, they probably had a McDonald's and a Hershey's. And they had fresh water that was actually bought there by the rails that they had introduced in the time. Above they, ground, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. And they... Mate, it, it, we're never going to let you go of that. You know, it's it's going to be around <laughs> forever. They did. They did. Yeah. And they had... Even... It, it became one of those popular kind of high buzzing towns. Cause they even had groups and stuff that would perform. They had... One, <laughs> one family had a pet ostrich. That terrorized other townspeople. I love it. And they made, and they, this is great, they used it to pull a sleigh at Christmas. I have, I have no more information about how the ostrich actually terrorized the folks, but they had an ostrich. What I'm trying to say is it was an affluent town. white dress and slap people. (laughs) Yeah, in a mismatch. But yes, so effectively, anyway, they, they had this, this town that was just going through the diamonds, but, Unfortunately, they over um, mined it, I guess, is, is the, the correct term. Mm-hmm. And it also had a lot of history of violence in the town because of some of the... It was under German rule at the time and some of the local people rebelled and there was a lot of, a lot of violence, kind of civil outbreaks in that area as well. But they effectively went through and over uh, mined the place so much that effectively the whole place got depleted in a matter of years. So okay. they... So the first diamond was found in 1908. The town was sprung up in 1914. And by 1930, it was just gone. It had finished. Everything had been d- depleted. All the diamond fields were, were, were gone. That was quick. Wow. Yeah. It just shows you. I can't really describe or put do justice to how horrendously it was mined. Like, it was ridiculous. Because think about it. A million carats a year. So yeah. for 12% of the world's population for what 20 years of diamonds yeah yeah that's 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 a lot so people started leaving in huge places just abandoning homes leaving their possessions and in 1956 it was just completely gone completely emptied and you can still you can still go there you can visit it the the railway tracks are still there but all of the town's doors as i mentioned before are covered banks the whole town is covered the the walls and stuff are still stripped of paint um, I believe in 2000s, in the early 2000s, a, a private company got a concession to manage it as a tourist attraction. So I think it's called Ghost Town Tours. Very, very uh, imaginatively named. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> and you can you can visit it. You can go. Oh, we'll put a link up later on. But you can you can go and visit that site. You can it brings some money into the coastal town as well, which helps. And it takes about 35,000 tourists a year, which is really cool. Uh, you, but yeah. I mean- I can just imagine an ostrich just walking about, strutting its stuff with diamonds everywhere, going, this is mine now. All I can hear is, dun, 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 like the Dr. Dre music. Just <laughs> yeah, exactly. Any exactly. tag life being with an ostrich is that guy. Uh, I've always wanted an ostrich. Have you? Yeah. Have no, you, uh, or have you just, or you just want an ostrich now? I kind of want an ostrich now. I'm very, I'm easily persuaded. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, that's the history of Coleman Stop. 
Very, 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 very good. Were there rusted cars in this old town? No, there was a rusted flamingo. God's sake. I've got something on rusted cars. One one quick shout out to a a motel. Not a shady motel, but a motel, uh, which is called Solitaire Motel, which has, it's a small settlement of Sol- uh, in Solitaire. And even though it's a motel, it's the only gas station between two cities. And it has a German bakery and a post office um, and loads of cars which are just dying, rusting in the desert. Uh, old cars, your favorite, the Beatles, they're dying. Um, and it, yeah, it's, uh, I don't know if it's an attraction as such, but it's, I was a bit surprised when it had a German bakery, but now after what you've explained, it makes, makes sense now that the German bakery is going to be popped up in a gas station in between two cities. So is the town still, is it like popular? So there's still people there living? Yep. It's just, yep. yeah, it's, right. it's still running. You've got a lodge, uh, you have a farm desert ranch as well. So yeah, you definitely, you can do overnight stops and stuff as well. Is it near Mike's Night Shack, by any chance? Yeah, Mike, he's, he's diversified, Mike. Uh, nice. Branching out, maybe branching out to different countries. Is but this yeah, the, called the um, Canyon Roadhouse, by any chance? It probably will be. I I, I think so, yes. Okay, yeah, because I was looking Why? at the Canyon Roadhouse, which is 20 kilometers north of the Fish River Canyon in Namibia, right? This is, uh, it's kind of a lodge that's decorated with um, old car parts and everything found in the region. Yeah, cool. it, it looks really nice. They've got like a proper restaurant and they're like old school cars just hanging on the walls and in the restaurant on the sides. That's pretty cool. Yeah, you wouldn't perceive that as, be- so it, I'm assuming it was just the fact that when the Germans left, they just left all the, all, all the imported cars and there's no demand for them, I suppose. That makes a lot more sense, actually, because I was just going, why are there all these cars here? And yeah, they're mostly German Volkswagens. Mm. Uh, that makes sense. Well, I yeah. don't know if the Volkswagens were around at that time, but yeah, I, I, I get, I get that. That makes a lot of sense. You've touched on it already. The the ships. Can we talk about the ships then? Yes. Yeah. Okay. okay. So the best, treacherous, inhospitable part of the Namib Desert is a 500 kilometer expanse. I picture this. Okay. You're standing on a sand dune and you're looking down and you see fog coming from the Atlantic, which it's the cold air of the Atlantic is hitting the Namib Desert heat. Causing a lot of weird. What was that? That was my sound effect of the fog. Ah, thanks for that. Fog doesn't make sound. <laughs> it. Well, this one does. I thought your okay. microphone died. I know, me too. I was like, oh. I was trying to add some ambience to the to the. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was terrible. I, I kind of like that though. It was terrible, but I liked it. Okay, so picture this: you're standing on a sand dune and you're looking down, and you see the Atlantic Ocean kind of with bringing its cold air and is hitting the hot air of the Namib Desert, which, which is causing a lot of creepy, fog, misty stuff happening. And then, in the distance, you see rusting ship hulls all along the coast. This part of that is called the Skeleton Coast, and it's from Angola to central Namibia, and it takes the name from the whale carcasses, the ships, the hulls, the airplanes, the animals, the skeletons of, well, everything and anything, really, across its shores, and there are almost a thousand shipwrecks that have littered its coastlines over the centuries. Um, the, I mean, some of the phrases I've seen through this research. So the local people, uh, the San people, have called the region the land God made in anger. Charles John Anderson, when he found it in 1859, said the phrase, death would be preferable to banishment to such a country. Wow. That sounds pretty hard. Well, I'm not happy. Yeah. 
Um, and then the Chosen, the Chosen Bushmen describe it as the land God made in anger. So you, you're kind of getting a, a bit of a vibe here, right? That this is not, not, not a place to be. One thing which I really wanted to talk about here, and it's kind of related, is a guy called Diojo Cal, uh, which is Diojo the Dog, I think his nickname is. So this guy is a Portuguese explorer who briefly stopped at the Skeleton Coast in about 1486. So this guy, he as an explorer under the Portuguese royal family, I think, uh, was told that you need to erect a padrão or a mast, which has the, coat, the Portuguese coat of arms in every single place where they go and explore. So he erected one of these near the skeleton coast, but he hated it so much because it had sand dunes and the harsh climate, and he just turned back to the sea before calling it the gates of hell. Uh, so he's like, nah, not, not touching this one. But yeah. One thing about the the padra, so it's a really long, tall, I suppose, like a stone. Imagine a nail, a really big nail, like mm-hmm. stabbed into the ground with the coats of arms. It was there, and then it was taken uh, by some Germans back to Berlin in the museum. But thankfully, it's now back in Namibian hands, so you can actually go and see it as well. And yeah, that whole story was something which was like, hmm. That's so I'm assuming this was... With the whale carcasses and stuff, and as well as the ships, was this kind of how recent are we talking? What's the most kind of recent shipwreck? Are we talking like before yeah. World War? We're we talking World War One, World War Two. We're we talking more recent yeah, than that. Honestly, there's stuff which I mean, I've found some stuff which were wrecks in 1860. Uh, 18 sorry, 1486 is the is one. Oh, wow. is, is Mister Diojo who who rocked up in 1460? Uh, in 1480, sorry. And then there was another one, which is probably the biggest ship. Uh, I think it was a cargo ship, which you can kind of see it's rusting. Uh, mm. was in 1942 called the Dunedin Stars, which, I mean, the irony that Dunedin, yeah, um, Dunedin, uh, yeah, and it's, it's just stuck there. Um, Wait, what? So, yeah, the, the name of the, the name of the ship the is called the Dunedin. Ah, yeah, isn't that like one of the Rangers from Lord of the Rings? Oh, no, it is. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Carry on. Sorry, I got just forgot. I got way too excited for that. But yeah, um, but yeah, no, I was I was trying to do a Zame joke by saying you know the name of the ship is Dunedin, and it's and then a, why do you encourage him? Why do you why do you? I thought it was a good joke. No, it's shocking. It was not, but yeah, uh, apparently nobody knows if it was because of the bad coast conditions where they couldn't actually see the coast because of the mist, uh, or it was a German U-boat in 1942. But what, for whatever reason, it's there and you can see it. It's very limited in terms of what, you, how many people can actually go. Um, I think it's like you refer to it as the forbidden zone, and it's kind of related to that. Uh, but you can get some four by fours, and you can go and explore it up to a certain degree. Um, which is, again, I think that sounds like something we would do. Yeah, 100%. I think that's quite... I think it's one of the most, if not the most popular tourist attraction in Namibia with just the sheer volume. And it's quite really... It's very accessible. There's a whole bunch of tours that you can do for it. It's pretty cool. That sounds like something would be amazing, rocking up and doing a 4x4 trip over the dunes and just stopping to see the shipwrecks would be amazing. Yeah, no, I, I think I think it's going to be good, and um, they really recommend on a fair few websites, which again we can stick it in the links later. They'd recommend that you do a bit of a flyover as well to see it from an aerial view. So I'd I'd really be up for that as well. Yeah, that that sounds really cool. I I like the idea of having almost what I class as like a side quest, I guess, in the sense of you just having yeah. a vehicle or or a thing and just driving around looking for stuff or stumbling upon stuff. It feels like that's what I mean by a video game. It feels like it's just go and explore. And have a look and see what you come across, which is just really cool. I've got another one about these tombstones or the tombs or the grave. Again, this uh, it's going to sound 
a little bit blue. I apologize for going back to the death, but this is a cool thing. It's not Expect as, nothing as less. bad as it sounds. So I'm going to talk about the grave of Haiti Abib, or Hasib, which is a deity in the Namibian legends. So in loads of different parts in Namibia, you can find these piles of stones that are next to paths and passes, sometimes in waterholes and things like that. And they're known as the graves of Haiti Abib, or Hasib. What is so, a Haiti Abib? So Haiti Abib was a deity or a creature or something. Okay. That was born as a bull, but his mother was a cow. And the cow ate some magic grass and gave birth to a bull. Okay, okay, go on. Yeah. And, and no, no, no more questions on that? <laughs> I mean, um, uh, Zabe, have you got any questions on the magic grass or, uh. Oh, this, this all tracks for me, it all adds up. It all adds. Anyway, no so, further yeah. questions, Your Honor. The cow, the cow got high, gave birth to a bull, and the bull, uh, or Hesed, was known for his unusual singing of wonderful <laughs> songs that he used to sing from trees and bushes. Can you My uh, kind of guy. give us a taste of one of these songs, please? Yeah, please. Please. You don't want me to, believe me. <laughs> believe me, you don't want me to. Um, the hills were alive. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> Um, oh, sorry, but anyway, you, just, you mentioned that it, it sang from trees? Yeah, it, it, on trees and bushes and things like that. As in okay. from or to them. But it's a bull, right? Kind of. It's a creature of, of horns. I don't know if it's human, but it, it had creatures of horns. Right. Anyway, the tradition or the history is that Hayseb, as he's known, saved the world from an evil monster whose name... Let me just... Try, ah, this is. It's going to be difficult to get this name right. Just so you can appreciate it, the way it's spelt is a plus sign on top of a plus sign, G, A with a hat, plus sign, G, plus sign, R, I, B. So I'm going to go with Gagrib, Gargrib. Let's go with Gargrib, that sounds like a demon, right? Uh, can we call him Gaggy for short? Sure? Let's call him Gaggy, let's go with Gaggy, yeah. yeah. Gaggy! Hey, seven yeah, Gaggy. So Gaggy was a demon who would sit on top of a pit or a hole in the ground. And Gaggy actually translates, <laughs> Gagrib translates <laughs> as plunge into the hole. So Gaggy would okay. sit there and have, as travelers would pass across, he would annoy them and taunt them to throw rocks at him. And when they threw rocks at him, the rocks and the boulders would bounce off Gaggy and hit the, the person who threw it, and the person would fall into the well or the, the, the pit. I and then the Gaggy. Card. And Gaggy. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure that's exactly how it's defined in the, uh, in the history. And <laughs> Gaggy would jump down and devour him. So. He that seems like it went from zero to a hundred real quick. Oh yeah, yeah, it goes, yeah, it goes real quick. And Hayseb tried to overpower him many, many times. It's not really told, and eventually he did it. It doesn't really tell us how he did it, but eventually he did. But he did it. He tried it on multiple different occasions, and he would go and try and attack him, and then die, and then go and attack him and die. And this this kind of sequence would repeat. And so all across Namibia, you can mm. find these graves that are known as Hayseb's graves but they don't actually have any bodies underneath them so I guess it's more of a tomb mm. and scientists haven't unearthed any remains underneath these piles they are just these piles that are that are in his name and that's they think because he died and came back to life and died and came back to life and so they put these monuments up everywhere and now they're considered a sacred kind of place to go so when you go there you pass them over certain cairns you throw sp- specifically green Branches, I think, leaves, or give some kind of offering of money. Some people say tobacco, though I'm not sure about that one. Mm. Honey, magic mushrooms, whatever you happen to have on a Nintendo DS, 
any kind of offering that you can give, you put yeah. on the on the stones and you say a little prayer. I actually have the prayer here as follows. Oh, Haiti Abib, thou our grandfather, let me be lucky. Give me game. Let me find honey and roots, that I may bless thee again. Art thou not our great-grandfather? Thou Haiti Abib, is the prayer that you say. I mean, to be honest, isn't that what we used to say when we wanted games and honey as well? I was like, mate, yeah. I really want FIFA. Yeah. Oh, her grandfather. Give me some money, mate. Give me some money. I'll give you some yeah. back. <laughs> yeah, can't cheers, okay. mate. So they say this prayer. However, there's a little bit of a dark side to this too. So when you're walking away from the grave or his, his tomb, his monument, you are not allowed to look back because it's deemed as disrespectful to Hesib and mm. a number of other aspects which can do so. If you go through them and you don't give any offering or you do not or you turn back, there are a number of the bad things that can happen to you. So you can be afflicted by illness or disease. They'll give you, you have bad luck, you'll have fallen into difficulties. Um, you'll be cursed or attacked by invisible forces. Some even say that your head will be permanently switched around, like your neck will be turned like in, in the, the exorcist, and you'll be permanently facing backwards as a, as a punishment. But, a bit harsh? Yeah, a little bit, but, you know, a guy wants honey. And there's not really a number on how many of these graves or stones there are around Namibia, but they're scattered around everywhere. There's not a significant catalog of it, but there are... They're scattered all over Namibia, and you can go and visit them and give your offerings, which, again, sounds to me like, you know, one of those side quests or a trophy where you've got to go visit all of Hesib's yeah. tombstones. It that kind of feels like a dark version of the elephants, which are dotted around London um, many, yes. many years ago. Yeah. Where you could go and see them, but this is like a slightly... You said it was slightly dark, but, mate, that is, that is proper dark. I mean, you're... It gets darker. Oh, well, does it? I'm not... You can judge for yourself. So this was one interpretation of Hesib. Another one that they believe is what the actual story was, but it got lost because for some reason this story got propagated by the guy who, who went there and, and I think his name was Harm, Han, in 1881. He went there and, and had different interpretation, which he didn't quite understand. The original story of some think that Hasib was actually a trickster deity, so the Loki of the Nama. Mm-hmm. And his story was actually that he, he, <laughs> he tried to trick his family by faking his death so that he could steal all of the raisins for himself i'm not a huge raisins. fan of raisins to be honest Ra- yeah i quite like a good raisin you remember those at school you used to have those little purple square boxes do you remember those no you, i do but i've cool. never ever met anyone who likes raisins like as a kid growing up yeah that's instantly suspicious no um, but you like i like the raisins they used to have them in little purple boxes man they were proper nice i don't like them in cakes and stuff or in yeah, rice like you, you bite into a cake and you're like oh nice no, chocolate chip, yeah, and then no, you no, get no, a no. raisin and the disappointment it's immeasurable and your but with like a, ruined. with like a cashew nut or like peanuts they're pretty nice a nice mixture right so anyway your story anyway he faked his death to try and steal all the raisins which is why his other story was known as the raisin eater and again <laughs> he Again, he would fake his death, and that's why there's so many of these tombs scattered around. Personally, I like the first one more. I think that's a much more interesting one. Yeah. And yes, yeah, yeah. so you can go, you can visit all of these places. I would strongly suggest reading this fantastic article that I will put up on the, on the link again by uh, Sigrid Schmidt, which talks about all these graves in a lot more detail. I'll put it up on the group, on the link. Perfect. Zayn, can you please, for the life of us, help us alleviate the mood from death and destruction? Have you got also, it for us? Well, yeah, I, I, think, I think this story was kind of nice. Was it not it a nice was... story? He saved the world yeah. by singing through trees. Yeah, yeah but it's now he's... some family fun Absolutely. story. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Should be turned into a Disney film. 
Um, Alright, so let me tell you about the Ombalantu Baobab tree. Okay, this sounds nice. It's actually, no, it's super, super interesting. So it's <laughs> called, and I'm going to butcher the pronunciation here, but it's called the Omukwa Wambalantu, or the oh, Tree of Life. Good. I think you actually probably know. I think you probably know. pretty good. Well. So this tree is 800 years old. It's 28 meters tall, and it's 26.5 meters in diameter. Jeez. So it is wow. a huge, massive, super wide, super huge oh. tree. So the story of this tree, in 1835, King Kamaku of the Ombalantu people, he basically, he died, right? And so all the other tribes in the area, they're always sort of stealing from this tribe. They started attacking more frequently because the king's dead. Mm-hmm. And so the head person of the tribe decides to cut a hole into the tree. So right, he climbs to the top and he cuts a hole all the way to the bottom and he makes it hollow. And then all the women and children could sort of climb into the tree and hide there whenever their village was attacked. Mm-hmm. And then in 1940, they decided to cut an entrance to the tree, like at the front, so you could actually just walk in without having to climb all the way to the top. And they okay. began using it as the first official post office in the region. And post office. The Sorry. Post office, yes. So Sorry. if you're traveling and you want to, yeah. Sorry. So let me just get this right. I may be being a wally here. The king died. Yeah. They started getting attacked by other tribes. They started getting attacked more by other tribes. And they thought, what we need for this situation is a post office. <laughs> no, at the time, they thought, I'm going to go hide in a tree because it's safe. Yeah. And then, like, 1940s, so about 100 years later, they Okay, uh, that was the, the crucial tree. bit I was missing, sorry. Right. No, but even yeah. then, why is it a post office? That's I just, like the, I don't there's a tree, let's turn it into a post office. Because it's cool. Alright, uh, and... Since then, since that 1940, right, the tree has been used as a chapel, as a okay. bar, and nice. even as a makeshift police box. So you basically throw people inside, lock it up, and then the police comes by to interrogate them or at arrest them. At the same them. time, or do you mean at different points in time? At different points in history. Right. Okay. It currently, right, it still has the church altar inside, so it's got cross and benches and all that stuff, and it can hold about 35 people. I need to go see this. That sounds amazing. Right? Like 35 people in a tree. That's insane. Yeah. That's crazy. But did you know that the the Babel tree was also known as the ghost tree or the upside down tree? Did you know that? Yes, I have heard of this, but can you tell us why? So it's known as, yeah, the ghost tree or the upside down tree because apparently it didn't. (laughs) This is a bit, do I want, do we want to do this? Because I like the same story and I think I'm going to make it blue again. Yeah, let's let's leave it then. No, no, 100% go for it. Let's summarize it quickly then. So he, the bear was unhappy about how it looked and it thought its other peers were more attractive and it got yeah. fed up and it went to God and said, mate, why did you make it so ugly? And God picked it up and put it upside down so that it would never have to look at its reflection and complain again. <laughs> That's brilliant. Brilliant. Okay, I like, I like that. Can I talk about the animals? Yeah, I mean everyone yeah. likes animals, right? You know that definitely picked me up after the death and destruction. I love how I love how those. Let's just isolate those two sentences. Can I talk okay. about animals? Everybody loves animals. And number two, I just need to touch stuff. Yeah, they're different things. Okay, like mm-hmm. history, touch yep. animals, look. I mean, obviously, yep. I know my limits, mate. Uh, anyway, history, and pe- touch animals, look. Okay, <laughs> man. Together, apes strong. What do you but, have? What do you have? But, 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 they have, so people go to Namibia to see the skeleton coast and all of that stuff, but they, of course, they also go to see the, the African 
animals, the ones which you see on in movies and TV. So there's a type of elephant called the desert elephant, uh, which have broader feet, longer legs and smaller bodies. And they're in a place called Cacao Land, which is a place where the Namibians go to get away from it all. And this place has uh, ostriches, it has lynxes, desert elephants, lions, it's everything. And cheetahs as well, as Zaki mentioned. So I don't usually promote conservations uh, where animals at zoos and stuff like that. It just feels a bit weird. But here, where they're actively trying to protect these animals, it just, it looks amazing and it's definitely worth a visit. And there's a fair few different conservations. The one which I'm really excited by is the Okonjima conservation, which you can go with a 4x4 trip as well, which I'd really, really recommend. So if you're not interested in the beetle who drinks bum water, there are elephants as well. And rhinos. And Oh, and rhinos, yeah. I can't I forgot the rhinos. Is the ostr- going to use the ostriches for sleds at Christmas? Um, apparently, if you ask nicely, you can. As long as you provide diamonds. If nah. you've got elephants and rhinos, you wouldn't you, you wouldn't pick like an ostrich to pull a sled. That's true. Yeah, that is, a rhino, can you imagine that on a sled? That'd be insane. That would be pretty cool, actually. I've always, yeah, I mean, rhinos are better than ostriches. Sorry, what, what, what were you going to say? I've always what? What were you going to say? I I've just thought a, a, a rhino or something. Rhinos, rhinos are better than ostriches because they're they they they're just nicer. They're cooler. They make better animals. They they make better pets. Let's um, not let's not discriminate between animals now. Yeah, I mean, you'd have a rhino over an ostrich, though, wouldn't you? Anyway, yeah. uh, we need to talk about food. Can I start off by just covering it off straight away? Because I know, Zucky, you like oats and milk and stuff, so I've got something which is right up your street. <laughs> oh, my okay. Porridge is everywhere. Okay. What would I... I mean, if I offered you some stiff porridge... <laughs> <laughs> I can would I, report you to the police. Can I interest you in some stiff porridge? Uh, or its official term is Oshifima. Uh, so this is a Namibian cuisine, and I had to search quite far to find a recipe for it, but I found one, and I'm going to stick the link into the description as well. But basically, uh, it's a made out of pearl uh, millet, and you turn it into um, like almost like a sticky flour type thing. So it's very stiff porridge, funnily enough. And then what you do is you take it with your hands, you turn it into a bit of a ball, like a dough ball, and then you dip it into some sort of sauce whether it's made out of uh, collard greens or vegetables, and you kind of dip it in and you eat it. So it's like how we eat, um, you know, rotis or naans and stuff like that. It's kind of like a deconstructed roti. Apparently, it's it's quite popular as a side dish or with meat or whatever, and you just tuck in. It's a very family dish. So, yeah, I've, I've got a recipe if anyone wants to try it on in the link as well. Uh, so you, Googled, good. you Googled stiff porridge? Just for you, mate. Just for you. Okay. You know. Huh? You know. Right. Oh, yeah. Just We've got a special connection here. You, you, yeah, you, you and me, not me and the porridge, but yeah. So I, I thought you'd appreciate. It. And then, then lastly, um, I know I'm a bit too excited, so apologies, but there is a restaurant which is built around an oil-fired tugboat, which was constructed in Glasgow and it made its way all the way to Namibia, and then it died. So they've built a restaurant around the tugboat, and uh, again, it's it's called the Tug, which is a great name. It's a very aptly named. And you can go and sit in the restaurant, the upper bridge, in the tug itself, etc. And have really, really... I've looked at the menu. They've got tuna, they've got steaks, they've got everything. And it looks beautiful with a really good backdrop as well. So I'm definitely making a stop there. And of course, Windhoek, the capital, has a lot of good restaurants as well, which I would strongly recommend that you have a little walk around there as well. There's the tugboat the tug move. The tugboat... 
Its final operating days were in 1984, and then it was hauled to where it is right now. So no, unfortunately, it does not move. It's stationary, and uh, you can just look at it and make feel a bit sorry for it. I suppose. That sounds fantastic. It sounds like a really cool yeah. location yeah. restaurant. Perfect. Uh, I think we are reaching the end of the episode. Is there any special mentions you want to do? Anything you want to quickly just list, to, and then we can give people a link to look up after? The only one for me which we didn't really talk about was Fish River Canyon. Okay. Which is one of them, again, a massive attraction in Namibia. Um, I won't go into it, but effectively it's something to look out for that you should definitely have a look at. It's one of the biggest ones and there's a whole bunch of history about how it was formed. So definitely check that out. Perfect. Zayn, anything for me? I don't really have an attraction so much as just a quick fun fact. Hugh Laurie basically filmed his audition tape for House in a hotel bathroom in Namibia while he was filming Flight of the Phoenix. Ah, that's also Flight of the Phoenix was Namibia as well. Yeah. Cool. Um, for those of you who don't know, Flight of the Phoenix is basically about a plane crash in the desert, and then all the survivors use the wreckage to build a new plane and escape. Yeah, hmm. it's good film, actually. Yeah. Nice fun fact there. But no, I just wanted to say thank you so much for listening in. We always appreciate it. And a special shout out to the various people who have been piloting our episodes and providing feedback. So thank you very much. Um, we've also, you might have heard us mention it a few times in this podcast, but we have begun sharing our research on the lockdowntraveler.blogspot.com, uh, where is, uh, all our links, all our research, all our thoughts are going to be populated for each episode there. And there is a link in the description. And if you want to learn more about any of the items we've talked about today, really recommend you go and have a look there. If you want to get in touch to hopefully provide feedback, potentially complaint, you always have the old-fashioned way of dropping us an email at thelockdowntraveller at gmail.com. So thank you for that. And gents, uh, it's always a pleasure. We get there in the end. See you at the next one.